you to the service today. I want to thank God for how he's helping us. Thank you to those of you who are online, uh, watching live right now, or you are watching this as a recorded broadcast or listening to the audio. I want to appreciate God for your lives. I keep requesting and asking that you please continue to share the channels, subscribe to our YouTube channel, LiveGate Outreach TV, one word, subscribe to it. When you go to the videos, like it. It helps us to propagate the gospel some more. We are in times and seasons where the word of God may not be scarce as it was scarce in the days of the Old Testament, but there is a scarcity of the quality of the word of God. A scarcity of the quality of the word of God. And uh, this is not to overblow what God is doing here by any means whatsoever, but to let you know that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I can, by his special grace and mercy, assure you that this is one of the centers that by God's grace in this end time are committed to delivering nothing but the pure word of God, not for the selfish motives of any one human being or any group of people, but for the sake of getting everyone to be truly saved, truly sanctified, truly making an impact that they ought to make as long as we live on this side of eternity. And so I want to encourage you to join hands with me to propagate this word. I don't know about you, but many times, you are, if you read the social media, I don't know how you feel about such things. And I see what people say about the church. In many cases, it's very, very horrific. People have given all kinds of definition to the church of Jesus Christ today, calling it business centers, calling it all kinds of things. And it grieves my heart. It grieves my heart because I know that the devil is only using such things to try to dissuade many more people from being a part of this glorious kingdom of the Son of God. And so I want to encourage us to work together to continue to make sure that the word is propagated to help read our world. You see, every effort may be small when you start it. In 2015, God told us very clearly this was a movement that he's birthed in the Commission Life Gate. I've not said it much since then, but this is the truth. It is a movement that will, as long as Jesus starting to come, outlast me, outlast everyone here, Jesus starting to come, becoming much bigger. What we are just doing now is giving it its foundation, giving it its solid roots in physical structure, of course spiritually, and then giving it a physical base, giving it the recognition it should have because you need those things to make things work the way they ought to work. But yes, we are in those times when we need the qualitative word of God one more time, the transforming word of God one more time. Let's work together to continue to trust God to help us to share it. I believe you were blessed by the message last Sunday by Pastor Lola. Let's give the Lord a big hand one more time. I was listening to it as I drove to the church I was going to minister. And uh, obviously, before I got to the church, the message hadn't finished. So as soon as I came back, I continued from where I stopped. So I could listen to everything before I got home. And uh, I could uh, reflect 
start my reflection. I listen to our messages at least two times, if not three, during the week to see what God is saying. And I want to really thank God for the life of that woman. I bless God for her indeed. I was sharing with a fellow pastor in the course of the week. And I said, you see, people only see where you are at at any point. Nobody ever has a clue where you are coming from. It's very easy to see where a person is. It's very easy because you just look. You don't need to do much. But in many cases, there are stories. A great servant of God says the, the secret of men is in their stories. It's very true. When this lady met, when we met in, on May the 7th, 1992, for the first time in this life, we were both very young. We were in our early 20s because we were just six months apart. So we were kind of like 23. And um, when we met and we agreed that we would get married, the third day after we met, young people, don't try that. I beg of you, don't try that at all unless God is so expressive like he was to me. And uh, we, since we agreed on that day, this lady, I didn't have anything. I was still living in a school hostel. I didn't, there's no house. If I moved from that place, I had to go back to my parents' house. I didn't have a rented apartment anywhere. I was a postgraduate student living full-time on campus. But she believed in me. I started to get invites to be teaching in uh, youth groups and even some churches will have, I wasn't married, they will invite me for marriage seminar. I used to wonder when I stand there, <laughs> what am I going to tell people who are married? But I'll just go all the same and do those things. I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything, like I said. I would take a motorcycle and she would join me on another motorcycle and we would ride and go to the place and preach. I didn't even have a suit. I will just wear my shirt, and have my tie to be as formal as I can be. And when I come out, she'll say, well done. God bless you. That was powerful, <laughs> whatever it was. And she would encourage me and encourage me. And I remember those days when I was listening to the message last week, and I said, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. And in 1994, two years after, I said to her, I see God taking us to nations. We were just planning our wedding for 1995. I say, I see God taking us to nations. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I see, at that time, I didn't have a car, like I said. <clears throat> and God began to prove himself from one stage to the other to the other. So these days, every time, we, God has helped us. We've been to many countries in the, in the 20-something years. We've been married almost 27 years now by God's grace. And every time we fly to those nations, I remind her, especially if we're going to one for the first time, I say, can you see? This is what God can do. My point here today is, friends, don't despise today. Don't despise today. Don't look at this church with the eyes you are seeing in the physical. Don't despise it. I thank God she did not despise me at that point. And I thank God we did not despise each other. And we're still on a journey because there's still so much by the grace of God that is ahead of us. So please be encouraged and let us continue to do this work together. One thing I can guarantee you is that Anyone who truly serves God will surely find the hand of God in their lives. I am a life that no human being, no human being on this planet can say they understood how David moved from here to here to here. 
There are people who follow me on social media that have known me since the 90s that used to send me, in fact, at times they put it on my wall. They say, Brother Dave, thank God for your life because they can see that the things I've been saying since those years, 89, 90, 91, 92, when I started preaching, a lot of it today, they are seeing, and we are still seeing, by the grace of God, many more things in Jesus' name. I said we'll see many more things in Jesus' name. This is not about the life of one man. It is about a movement and a commission. And I want everyone here who believes in these words to truly see it happening in their lives as well. In the name of Jesus. Psalm 19, verse 9. Our title today on this fifth session is Spiritual Stamina. Spiritual Stamina. This is, these are two words I coined to try to help me define what the 19B would be. Let's read Psalm 19.9 together, everybody. Let's read everything. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Again, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We're looking at part A, not part B, sorry, part A today. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The enduring part of it is our portion in terms of how God wants us to be people who can endure, people who can develop and live by what I am titling spiritual stamina. Thank you for the scripture. You see, I want us all to understand something. There is nowhere in scripture that we have been promised a race that is simple and easy. There is nowhere in scripture we have been promised the things that, like I said, have been taught erroneously over the last few decades in the body of Christ. Give your life to Christ and everything will be okay. Give your life to Christ and you will start to enjoy. Give your life to Christ and you will prosper. And they use scriptures like, believe on the Lord, you shall be established. Believe in his servants and you shall prosper. Literally. And it looks as if many people have been taught this. And then we are finding many people come into the faith, do not experience those kind of things per se, and then they get discouraged and they fall off. Because that's not the basis of the faith. The basis of the faith is a commitment to the great gift of Jesus Christ, the acceptance of it, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the faith we put in that, and then the continual exercise of grace till we see that same Jesus again, because he is coming back for us. He told us that he is going to a place to prepare, he's going to his father's kingdom to prepare a place for us. He says, so that where he is right now, there we shall be also. So we know that he is coming back and he's coming back for us. But what we need between now and the time he comes back, whether he meets us alive or meets us dead, what we need is stamina, the ability to keep going. And the devil knows that we need it, so he attacks people. Many people have fallen by the wayside. If you are my age and you've been in the faith for some time, you can find people who used to be vibrant 
I remember when we were in secondary school, we were very young teenagers, and some of the brothers then that would wake us up. Even some of us then were not like serious people. We were counted like unserious religious people <laughs> in our teenage in secondary school. But these brothers, they were, you know, in their late teens already. They were very serious and vibrant. I'm not mocking them. But a lot of them, you know, it was a lot of zeal without knowledge. And sadly, many of them fell by the wayside. Of course, some of them have gone on to do big, big things, big, big things that we are truly grateful to God. That is for the kingdom of God. So my point here is that if we don't know how to develop and run in the grace of this spiritual stamina, we will be people who will also be casualties of this race. May you and I not be a spiritual casualty in the mighty name of Jesus. So he says, the fear of the Lord is clean and it is enduring forever. You see, the fear of the Lord entails us giving due reverence to God. It simply means that we are putting him first in everything. I'll quickly read to us three scriptures. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 tells us about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8:13. it says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Say with me, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, he didn't say to hate the evil person. This is where the body of Christ has part of what we have missed over the years. We hate the evil plus the person. (laughs) And he didn't send us to do that. He said, hate evil. Don't like what the person is doing, but love the person. The commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever they are doing, love them. Hate evil, if it is evil they are doing. Don't participate in the evil with them. Don't encourage them in the evil. But never stop loving, because that is commanded. But over the years, the body of Christ have sat on their high horses and have become the judge and the police of this world. Policing the world, policing themselves. And becoming people who are haters of not just the evil that they are commanded to hate in the fear of the Lord, but becoming haters of people as well. And God did not send us that. I always say, is it so difficult to look at Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ was on earth today, he's never going to condemn anybody. He said to that woman, neither do I condemn you. So why should he start condemning people? Why do we condemn people? We must know how to separate the practice of people from people. Say, Lord, help me to know how to separate the practice of people or the practices of people from people. If Jesus was merging everything, there's no chance for Mary Magdalene. There's no chance for Zacchaeus. No chance. These were people who were dupes. Zacchaeus was a very, very wonderful dupe. If you sat with him around the table, he would dupe you before a conversation (laughs) and collect your taxes on top of it. (laughs) Because the kind of money he was returning after was phenomenal. It must be a high-level duping. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's a country that they call it 419. His own was very serious. <laughs> it was very serious. So that, man, that kind of person would have had no chance. The woman caught in adultery would have had no chance if Jesus was condemning people with their acts. So the point is we have to understand to fear God is to hate evil. First, us practicing evil refusing to practice evil, and then refusing to encourage people to practice evil, but never stop loving ourselves and one another. Because the second commandment says to love 
our neighbor as ourselves. Praise the Lord. But God hates pride. He hates arrogance. He hates every evil way. Again, evil way, not evil person. The perverse mouth, not the perverse person. God does not like profanity. And all these things represent, excuse me, the fear of the Lord for us. So, the fear of the Lord is enabled by the Spirit of God. There are seven different ways we know the Spirit of God operates. We have been told in Isaiah chapter 11, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord shall come upon him, shall come upon Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of counsel, you don't need to turn to it, but you know those verses very well. Isaiah 11:2, it says the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the counsel, might. And then it ends by saying the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Thank you. The spirit of the fear of the Lord shall come upon him as well. So it is by the Holy Spirit that we fear God. It is by the Holy Spirit that we are able to hate the evil way. Because the spirit of God works in us, prompting us to know how to hate evil and to be able to stand against evil. The body of Christ has decided to categorize evil into different ways. Thank you for the scripture. They put it in different categories. So there is big sin, there is small sin, there is intermediate sin, and there is, you know, some sin, and then there is mistake. That's a new one now. (laughs) There is mistake. (laughs) They don't call it sin. They say it was mistake. All those things are not of God. They are not scriptural. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. There is only one sin. There is only one sin. Anything evil is sin. To him that knows what to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So we need to get the balance right. You know, many times if you read the tabloids or you are online and they say, oh, a popular man of God, God forbid, they say a popular man of God fell into sin. Do you know what they mean? He either committed adultery or he stole money. It's usually one of those two. Most of the time is that he committed adultery. All the lies he has been telling them before that time is not sin. All the lies that church members tell to each other is not sin. They are not falling into sin. All the malice and the anger, the bitterness that they have among themselves is not sin. So it is foolishness. All those things are sin. They are evil. There was a time we looked at the six things God hates, seven that are abomination to him. Remember from Proverbs 6, 6 to 9? And we need to understand that whatever is not of God, whatever is evil, is sin. So we cannot live above sin in our own power. We must necessarily allow the spirit of the fear of the Lord to walk in us and upon us at all times, strengthening us against sin. So the fear of the Lord has many benefits in scripture. Psalm 111 verse 10 tells us that it is the wisdom of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We see this in many Proverbs as well. Thank you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 23. The Bible says the fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. So in it we have life satisfaction. Thank you. Help me open it. Thank you. sir. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And in it, we have satisfaction, life satisfaction. Thank you so much, sir. That's right, thank you. 
So it leads to life. God bless you. It leads to life. And he who has it, he who has the fear of the Lord will abide in satisfaction. Now look at the next phrase. He said he will not be visited by evil. Now when you read such a thing like that, you say, ah, is it possible? What it means is that the visitation of evil will mean nothing to him. All things we can, like I just said when we were praying before the service, the devil thought he was visiting Joseph with evil when he was telling, sending him to the, uh, as a slave and then sending him to prison, all those things. He thought he was visiting him with evil, but God was using the same thing. So evil has no effect. That's the point. There is a shield of protection around him because he fears God. The Bible says concerning Job, the devil said, is it not because you have put a hedge of protection around him? So he visited, evil visited him, but he met a hedge of protection there. This is why we don't preach the fear of the Lord just for you to understand that you need to use it and have it to get to heaven. Because it is not just about that. It is about you living a satisfied life here. He said you will be abiding in satisfaction. Your sleep every day will be sweet. Your life will be enjoyable regardless of what you have physically. It's a mystery. It's a mystery because you fear God. You have inner joy, inner peace, inner satisfaction. You see life very differently. And yet God continues to bless the work of your hands in the way he wants it to be blessed. There are some people that must necessarily handle millions because of what God is putting ahead of them to do. So they must necessarily handle that kind of wealth. There are some people who would never ever handle more than 100,000 no matter what. And yet in that they will be satisfied. There are people who would never handle at any point in time more than 10,000 and they are satisfied in it. I'm just using money for you to see that it is not about the quantum of it. It is all about one having the satisfaction that they are abiding in. The fear of the Lord is to abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. The Bible says if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because the spirit of the fear of the Lord was upon Christ. So they were spitting at him. They nailed him to the cross. They pierced his side. They spat at him. They beat him with whips of cord and all kinds of things. And they thought they were crucifying the Lord of glory to kill him finally. But they did not know that that death was what was going to leave, lead to the life that will now give birth to all of us today. Billions of us today that are his children. If only they had known. So when you are somebody who fears God... You are somebody. This is why you should not joke with sin at all. And when I say sin, I think I've defined it to you. It's not those things that people would automatically list. Oh, I don't want to commit fornication. I don't want to commit adultery, which are sin, no doubt. But you see, don't get used to lying. And when I say lying, I mean lying every way. You are not at work because you did not want to go to work. Don't say you were sick. Are you calling sickness for yourself? <laughs> you want to be sick? You want to be ill? No, tell the man. I was really tired. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm shaking the grounds now. <laughs> because the silence there has told me a lot of this. <laughs> you fear God. You just say, you know what? Honestly, I wanted to come. But I felt very tired. I'm not sure I could drive to work. I say, but you can't do that. This is, this is, this is. Say, I'm sorry this is what happened. I'll make sure it doesn't repeat next time. Believe me, let God fight for you. 
But don't say, I had this fever. My head was banging. Then tomorrow you'll be disturbing pastor. That pastor says, yesterday my head has been banging. <laughs> you called it. You called those things that be not as though they were. <laughs> so the fear of the Lord means that you are completely shielding yourself. Because before we go to enduring forever, I want us to see that the fear of the Lord is the bedrock. It's the foundation for everything. So it leads to life satisfaction. Now, where I want us to really dwell is the fact that it leads to godly secrets. We see this in Psalm 25, verse 14. Psalm 25, verse 14. When I was a much younger preacher, you have heard this from me many times. I used to say, why do these preachers drink water when they are preaching? (laughs) As God added to my age, I had more wisdom. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Psalm 25 verse 14. The Bible says, let's read together. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. This is very powerful. God has secrets. Say to your neighbor for me, God has secrets. He has secrets about himself. Say, he has secrets about himself. And he has secrets about your life. But the Bible says, if you fear him, he is happy to share those secrets with you. He will show you his covenant. This is very vital if we are going to go ahead. One of the secrets that God showed us in the life particularly of Jesus is how he endured the cross. There is a secret to it, how he despised the shame. How will one man carry the whole sin of the world upon himself and become the lamb that was slain for many to be saved? There was a secret about it. One of those secrets is we have seen the working of the fear of the Lord among the many other manifestations of the Holy Spirit that worked on him. But there was a grace, and we're going to look at it from the, Hebrews, uh, from the book of Hebrews today to help us some more. We know Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to verse 3, very well. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, thank you, every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. We have talked about that quite a lot. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, when you, are, you lay aside sin, you live more comfortably, safely. Do you understand? There are many things that will not be a, a concern to you when you live well. If, you're, if you live in the integrity of business, for example, you don't cheat people, you pay people their share if you do a partnership or whatever, you don't do such things. There is no, if a policeman suddenly shows up in front of your house, will you be afraid? You ask them, how can I help you, isn't it? But if you know that you owe somebody 5,000 and then you dupe that one 15,000, if they come, you say, you see, actually, there's something I want to explain. Before they even said why they are there, you will start to give explanation that is not necessary. <laughs> that is why he said, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that easily besets us. What is a believer doing with sin? You are blessed. You are sanctified. What are you doing with somebody else's wife? What are you doing with somebody else's husband? What are you doing cheating people? What are you doing fighting with people? What are you doing keeping malice with people? What are you doing still getting angry and getting angry for a long time? What are you still doing with those things? Lay them aside. 
You want to have access to the secrets of God? Lay aside those things. They ensnare. They allow the devil to keep you in a place where you are in oblivion, where you have no access to the secrets that are rightfully supposed to be yours. He says, so when we lay them aside by the spirit of the fear of the Lord, we can now run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's go to verse 2. Look at what Jesus did. We're reading verse 2 and 3 as well. He says, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross. Somebody say he endured the cross. He despised the shame. I've told you many times, if you are afraid to be ashamed for this gospel, you will never walk in the fullness of its provisions. Paul said we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. Don't be ashamed. Why are you ashamed to say you are a Christian? And I know we have a, 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 a all kind of messed up world, sadly, these days. But that doesn't... People, people, I always say, people say what they believe. People say what they are. People show what they are comfortably. Only Christians are afraid to say, my Lord is Jesus. The Bible says he was despising the shame because people can call you names. They call him names, all kinds of names. In fact, one of the times when that woman who was told, <clears throat> excuse me, who were told, had a checkered history, was, was rubbing her, her hair, her, using her hair to rub his feet and pouring very, very rich oil. They said to him, if he knew what manner of woman this is, he would not even allow her to touch him. Basically equating him. When he went into the house of Zacchaeus, which I talked about, they said, what manner of man is this? He sits and eats with sinners. So they were trying to put him to shame. They called him, many times I've told you, they called him Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. But he despised those things, endured the suffering of the cross. And Jesus said, if anyone is going to follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. If anyone will be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. These are things that we need to revisit as Christians and understand how it plays out in our modern times. He did all those things but has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because he obtained his precious promises in God. May you and I run our race to obtain in the name of Jesus. By the grace of God, I have done and I'm still doing some, by God's special grace, fantastic stuff in the world of education, the world of engineering, you know, seeing people graduate and helping people, designing new curriculum, running big programs for university, as I speak to you, by the grace of God. Built many big projects around the world. Back in Nigeria, we built a few dams and did some water supply to communities that today, if we go there and we see water flowing, it was what we designed in the 90s. Big buildings everywhere. I have them in Coventry, Birmingham, London, everywhere. Big churches, by the grace of God as well, that God has used me in my time and in my career over the last two to three decades to do. And I am extremely grateful for such grace and such privilege. But you see, I don't want to leave this world only with those things as a legacy. No, no, God forbid. I want the first thing that anybody remembers about me is that this one fears God. And not only that they remember that, it challenges them as well to fear God. 
That is my whole desire. If you see me post anything on social media, I must tell my church members, my brethren in church, if you see me post anything about any of these things I've said in social media, it's for that one purpose. Don't follow them to tweet your nose that who does this guy think he is? <laughs> who does he think he is? Does he have to post all these things? No. I'm posting it for one purpose because I want everyone who sees David Oloke anywhere in this world to know that it pays to love God and to serve God regardless of who you are. And nothing can stop you from getting anywhere by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some days I've moved. I'll finish a meeting like this, talking something completely very, very abstract in terms of educational policy and things like that and academic programs, very pure academic thing. And then the very next day, I'm talking extreme difficult engineering challenges on five-story building, four-story building, difficult grounds that we're trying to solve the problem with the proper foundations to put it up or existing buildings that we need to, 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 to rework because of the new need that is there. And then I come on a Sunday and I preach like this. So moving from all those things every time takes a grace, and I'm grateful to God for it. So when I share it, I share it because I want a generation that is coming behind me. That is what I saw in the life of a man in the year 1976. I was only seven years old. For the first time in my life, I saw a preacher who was also an orthopedic nurse. And those days, orthopedic nurses were very scarce. Even till today, they are not that many. We call them physios and so on now, but they are not as many. But you know something? I saw that man. I liked the way he was preaching. I liked his Christian life. And I said, I like this man for what he is. And the fact that he's making it very well and is still a representation of Christ in the, work, in the marketplace, I like it. So when he's preaching, I will beg that they should excuse me from children's church. Initially, they did not like it <clears throat> until I told my father at home. I said, they should, they should just please, the day the man is preaching, I want to be there. And then my father explained to the elders, and that's how they started to leave me. I didn't know that God was putting in me a grace at that point to be somebody who would do what I'm doing today by the grace of God. So I want to also, anyway God helps me, inspire the next generation. Who will take this further? Whatever I'm able to do now, whatever he did then is by God's grace. Now, child's play, he has left us since the early 80s. It's child's play by the grace of God compared to what God is helping us to do today, to the glory of God, to the glory of God. So I want to see a generation that will take this again, take it to the next level, so that all this nonsense about pastors are in it for money and these things. We are going to raise a generation that will not... Be, that will be in ministry and will be bankrolling the affairs of ministry without taking a dime. I say without taking a dime. In the name of Jesus. I've been going on this for almost 10 years now. I've never asked for one allowance, not if not don't talk of salary. And this is a church that is blessed. We have a turnover of almost, you know, well over half a million in the last time, I think about 600, 700,000 now, in the time we have been operating. I can demand for part-time pay. And I'm not saying it's wrong. But there is something that we're about. It's a mandate and a movement to redefine the things. And not in these things for money. God knows how he gives us money. And he'll keep blessing you that way as well. In the name of Jesus. So let us take the fear of God seriously. Jesus did not come to be, to be manipulated. He did not come to manipulate. He only came to establish a kingdom. Let us walk with him in it. The things that we learn from his life. Number one. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 35 to 39. 
And very quickly, I'll take you through those points in one after the other. Very, very quickly. Number one, Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. Let's read verse 35 first. That's the first point. The Bible says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So the first thing I would like to tell you is to keep your confidence in God. I've just read Hebrews 10, 35. We're going to read from verse 35 to 39, but I've just read verse 35. The first thing I would like to say is keep your confidence in God. Refuse doubt. Refuse demonic fear and worry. Don't let your life be characterized by doubt, fear. Now this is the fear of the devil, not the fear of God now. Because there are two different things. You see, the fear of God, the Bible says it is perfect love that casts out the fear of the enemy. When you love, you actually have the fear of God. So the fear of God is holy, is righteous, is good, is pure. That's what the Bible says. It's clean, like we read today. But the fear that is induced by the enemy is nothing but to get you off track. Keep your confidence in God. Don't let the devil ever, ever tell you that your service to God is a waste of time. Never. If I've been doing something for well over 30 years, clearly as an adult myself, and almost 50, because since I've been born, I've been in this thing in one way or the other, and I can see of a truth, I saw in the life of my grandfather, saw in the life of my father, see it in my own life, clearly that it pays to serve God. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that you have nothing to lose in having your confidence in God. If God cannot do something for you, nobody can. Whatever God cannot do in your life cannot be done by man. Forget it. Let God be your help. Let God be your confidence. You are not going to be arrogant to people. You are not going to be a despiser of people. In fact, the more you have confidence in God, the more humble you are. Because you understand your frailty. He will show you your weakness. He will show you how without him you can do nothing. He will show you how you cannot attain anything without him. So that one will make you humble because you want to keep his presence. Praise the Lord. How many of you have, you work with team members that, uh, you know, they know a particular stuff. And if you are going to defend something or you are going in for a team meeting, you tend to, just like you do in football, you play to everybody's strength. So the one that knows some certain aspect will be talking when one question is asked. Then you will say the one you know. You see, when the one that knows a particular aspect is missing, have you noticed that when they ask the question, all of you will be shaking because (laughs) the man who is supposed to answer the question is not there. (laughs) The man who should answer is not there. But this is the confidence we have with God. He is always with us. He is always ready to help us. The Bible says that let us continue to keep confidence. You see, the apostles in Acts chapter 4, we're still going to come back to Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 36, 35 to 39, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says when they let go the apostles, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests had done to them. Let's go to... Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 30. Are we, are we still projecting? Acts 4, 29 to 30. It says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats. This is what they prayed. And grant to your servant that with all boldness we may speak your word. 
by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Hallelujah. These people were threatened that they should no longer. Remember Acts chapter 3? God healed that man through Peter and John and he began to walk and leap and then it became a problem for the Jewish people and the Sanhedrins and the rulers and the teachers of the law. And they began to say, we have to stop these people otherwise they will convert more people. This is a notable miracle that has been done. And so they began to threaten them that they should no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And those people say, how can we stop preaching in the name of Jesus? There is no other name whereby men can be saved. And so they continue to preach. And then they caught a hold of them and they put them in prison. The Bible says, and they began to pray with their companion. They began to pray. And the Bible says that God stretched out his hand. And the very foundation of where they were kept was even shaken. I want us to know that God will fight our turf. He will fight our cause if we keep our confidence in him. I say God will fight your case if you keep your confidence in him. In the mighty name of Jesus. Don't get involved with the rat race. Don't get involved with people who are backbiting and pulling each other down and trying to do things to suppress others. Look good in front of the boss. Look good in front of the client and blah, 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 blah. Those are the ways of the world. Don't join them in it. I'm not saying you should not compete as you should compete but run your own race with the backing of God. When God is in your matter and is helping you, you will find yourself achieving results that no man can contest. I say you will find yourself achieving results that no man can contest in the mighty name of Jesus. You know how you achieve those results and you know? You will be sat in a chair and in a position and you yourself will be telling yourself, I know that God helped me to get here. <laughs> you will be, that is when you know that truly that is, that is God himself. When you orchestrate it yourself, you say, you see, like, like Nebuchadnezzar, you say, this is my hand. He gave <laughs> You'll be talking nonsense like that. But when you've, you've learned how to work hard, read hard, do everything, and just go with God, what happens is that you start to find yourself certain places doing things that you know that definitely God must have helped you to reach. I say that to be your story. In the name of Jesus. He kept his confidence in God, his father. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And as soon as he said God's will be done, he received strength. He received the grace to move ahead. Let's continue to keep our confidence in God. When the Acts of when the apostles kept their confidence like that in Acts 4, we saw so many things from Acts chapter 5 right through to the end of the book of Acts of how God supernaturally came through for them. I want you to know that that same God is the God we serve today and he has not changed. If he came through for them that time, he will help you in this spiritual race. I say he will help you in this spiritual race. In the name of Jesus. My wife and I used to pray when my wife started her nursing profession. She for many years decided to do bank work because it was difficult for her. We were not pastors of, the, of any church. We were just believers serving in another church. She could opt not to be in church any Sunday she chooses. But because we wanted to be in church every Sunday, she kept on working as a bank nurse for a long time. And it was difficult at times because that means she had to be put on shifts every, virtually every Saturday, which means that many times we we're not able to do many things, but at least she had her Sunday free. But we kept on believing God. We kept on believing God. And every role she has, I have always had a more flexible job being in academia and the things I've done in, in the sort of engineering consulting world. But it's always been difficult because of her work in the, for her in terms of that. 
But what we found is that every time we stepped out by faith, God opened doors. I say God opened doors. And God made it possible for her that it became virtually impossible for her to miss service every Sunday. Till today, as I speak. Till today, because she's still in full-time work as a, as a community practice nurse. What I'm trying to say is that this God is still committed to those who diligently seek him. Trust him for the steps that you need to take. And as you are taking them, receive divine backing in Jesus' name. Amen. The number two thing is found in verse 36, Hebrews 10:36. The Bible says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You have need of endurance. So you need to learn how to endure. You need to learn how to be patient with God. You see, God is working out the best purposes for your life. And part of how you generate spiritual stamina is by going and running the race with endurance. You need to continue to cause yourself not to give up. You see, Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Do not be weary in well-doing so that you will reap if you faint not. There is a potential to be tired when you are doing the right things. Thank you. No worries. There is a potential to be tired when you are doing the right things. Many times, the right things look, uh, can be very challenging. To be committed to the correct things, to be committed to making the marriage work, to be committed to doing the things of God, to be committed to raising godly children, to be committed to your own spiritual life of prayer, of fasting, of fellowshipping, of doing those things that you need to do, can be very tiresome physically. They can be energy sapping. But the Bible says they are well doing, so don't be tired of doing them. How many times have I given people money when they were dead? My personal money in this church in, ten, in nine and a half years that I will give them what really costs me something that, you know, can help them at that point. Personal funds. And then some of them will still behave the way they like and still talk when, when they want to talk or even walk away that I won't even know they've gone away. How many times? So if care is not taken, when the next person comes with a need or there is a particular need, I may start to think, no, I'm not the one that will give you money and then you'll come and talk nonsense to me again tomorrow. <laughs> no, I won't do that. But it is a well-doing. You, somebody has a genuine, sincere need and you attach to it. You know why? God is the one who rewards you. I say God is the one who rewards you. I'm not saying you should waste your money on somebody who is not serious. But I'm only saying that even things like that can become worrisome. How many times will you do something to just want to please the other party and yet it's like they are just doing what they like. They don't even appreciate it. Don't be weary and well-doing. This is what... We learned in the life of Elijah. First Kings 19, we can't project scriptures now, but Elijah was a person who ran away from Jezebel, the wife to the king. May God not let anyone here have a Jezebel as a wife. In the name of Jesus. That's the kind of woman that heats up the house every time. Always complaining about this, complaining about that, causing this trouble. That is the way the picture of Jezebel that was painted. Even so, the king was very not happy. One time, I said, why are you angry? Why are you not happy? He said, ah, there's a vineyard that I want to have. He said, hey. so why? get rid of the guy. <laughs> get rid of the guy. And get, are you not the king? Oh, that's not your problem. <laughs> so she was a very mean woman. 
So when, she, when Elijah dealt with the, the prophets of Baal, who were her basically cohorts, she said if she is born, <laughs> that this time by tomorrow, the head of Elijah must be cut off his head. When the great servant of God heard it was Jezebel, he took to his heels. <laughs> with all his anointing, in fact, the anointing helped him to run some more. <laughs> That's my own. No, don't say Bible said that. <laughs> But the way he ran, I'm sure the anointing contributed a bit. <laughs> he ran. That can tell you how terrible this woman was because her word was law. She was not the king. She was not the king. May God let you have the right spouse. In the name of Jesus. It is very important. And if you're a woman here, understand your place. It's very, very powerful. A woman is very powerful. Oh, this one that those men say, hey, I'm the head of my... A woman is very powerful, very powerful. All your headship, if they want to cut it down in two minutes, they will finish it. <laughs> if the woman wants to kill her husband, it's very easy. It's very easy. How many women have killed their husband until today? Nobody knows they were the ones that killed their husband. So a woman is powerful. Pray every day as a woman, Lord, help me to be a good helpmeet to my husband. Help me to be by his side. Help him. Help me to, he, he helped me fulfill destiny and me help him to fulfill vision in the name of Jesus. Pray like that every time. So this woman made Elijah to run and Elijah was ready to die. The Bible says, he said, take my life in 1 Kings 19 verse 4. Take my life for I'm no better than my father's. And as he laid down there, the Bible says, and the angel of the Lord came back two times, verse 7, and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great. So he arose and ate. This is 1 Kings 19, verse 8. And he went through the strength of that journey for 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. God restored to the spiritual values that he had by the food that God gave. Now, we know that that food symbolizes the word of God. When we are losing stamina, find the word of God. Now, at times, physically speaking, you will not be able to read it because what is going on around you, if I, when you carry the Bible, and then that's when somehow your Bible will shift to that page where you say, and this one begat, 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 and then you start to hit your head. It doesn't make any sense. That is the time you look for audio messages or get your Bible. These days, your Bibles can read to you audio, isn't it? If they're electronic, get something that is reading the word to you. Don't just listen to anything. Listen to the word of God, the pure word of God. Look for scriptures that address your situation. Think about them. Meditate on them. They become the spiritual food that revitalizes you from the inside. You need this every time. Romans 15.4 says, whatever was written aforetime is for our learning. Is for our learning that we, through the comfort of scriptures, might have hope. Is for our learning. When you see what has been written before, you read it, you learn, you say, aha, a man of God ran away from a threat. And as he was fed by the angels of God, the same way I'm finding this food, this word of God, and I'm eating it, and it's becoming the rejoicing of my soul. That is how I'll be strengthened for the race to go ahead. And as you exercise yourself like that, what happens is that you start to see God walk and give you strength. Let's be real. Life can be very challenging, and at times, we just need that food 
to revitalize us from the inside. At times we need to be in fellowship. Carry yourself. That is the day the devil will tell you, why go to church? You are tired, you are feeling like this. You can't even worship. That's the day you say, that is the more reason why I will go to church. And then as the worship leader starts and says, brethren, lift up your hands. As you, whatever they are telling you to do, just start to do it. Just follow and see what God will start to do. Then before you know it, it will seem as if that burden did not exist. Then when God's word comes, whatever is preached, God's word is God's word. Whatever is preached, when it starts to come, engage with it. Then inside what is being preached, you will start to hear the words and the comfort of scripture. It is powerful every time. And then you find yourself being encouraged. This is one of the reasons why the devil wants to isolate Christians these days. All those Christians going about and say, what's the need of church? I pray by myself, and when I pray, God hears. God, he hears you. May God not let you see a situation where you can't even pray by yourself. Because God is God's mercy is still covering, God's help is still there. They say, oh, I pray by myself. No, the place of fellowship cannot be replaced. There is no new modern Christianity that can ever change that. We can change the format. But the principle of coming together, the Bible says we must not neglect till Christ comes. So if we want, we do it. If we like, we don't do it. We limit ourselves when we shortchange the places of things that are covenant practices like prayer, fellowship, things that have to do with the studying of the word, knowing God for ourselves. These are the things that make us enduring. Every time God gives you a word, remember it, make a note of it, write it down. Things God told me before this church was planted, around May 2013, about three, four months before the church was eventually planted, I'd been prayed for, left my former church, and been released officially. So I started praying and just trusting God, and we were looking for a venue and so many things. And um, one of, some of the things that God told me then in the place of prayer, till today, I still revisit them because they have been the foiling power they have been the foiling power, and they give me peace as the journey is going ahead. You know, if somebody says, I want to drive to London now, and you've been to London a few times, and you ask them, which route are they going to take? And they say, oh, I want to use the M6, M1. Then you can, in fact, if you know the route very well, like me, I've used it, I don't know, 50 times, 60, I don't know, many, many times. If you know the route very well, you can say, you know, watch out for this place at this time, watch out for this place at that time, and plan your journey very well. And you know that as the person is going, that word will be ringing, isn't it? That word will be ringing. And when they are approaching the junction you've told them could be problematic, they are seeing what you have said in many times. That is exactly how clear it is. When God speaks to you about your life, your wife, your husband, your children, as they are growing into those things that God has said, you will find yourself at peace. Even if the devil is trying to show you some other picture, you will find yourself at peace. And I want to encourage you to live like this. And then you can revisit the word that's spoken to you. And you can, re- reveal the re- you can revisit the written word as well. Hebrews 10.37 says, For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. That's principle number three. Let's understand the place of time. God makes all things beautiful in his time. There is a time for everything. There are many things I have wanted before the time. And God did not give it to me in the time I wanted it. There are many things like that. It's till today. There are some things I want now, I want to see now, but God just lets me know it's not yet time. And I've learned to just rest in him because there is nothing more beautiful than having what God wants to give to you per time. When I was just graduating, I was 20 years old. And I said to myself, I'm a Christian, I love God, 
what stops me? I just want to get married now. Why do I waste time? I say, and that is even good for me. When I'm 40, my first son will be about 19. Or <laughs> I just like that kind of thing, you know, when I stand with my son and he's, uh, I'm just, he's about half my age. I wanted that kind of thing. So it was a bit carnal, but at the same time, it was serious. I wanted to serve God. So that time, any Christian sister I saw, I will just say, hello, sister, how are you? Will you marry? <laughs> I was 20 years old, so you, don't, you have to pity me. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> that was my sense as a 20-year-old. No waste time. Just say, will you marry? So that's how one said, yes, I'll marry. <laughs> and I said, and this lady can sing so well. I said, my, I found myself the angel of my life. And my father did something for me that I'll never forget. He said, when, when he saw that this guy is ready, because I've always had things quick, quick, quick. I started driving at about 14, 15. I finished university, as I said, at 20. So a lot of things were very fast for me. So he knows that this one will not waste time. So he said to me, go and look for anybody you want to marry, but whoever it is, bring them home. Let me just see them. Just make sure I see them. I said, that's fine, no problem. So I, I took this lady home. And when we got home, my father looked. My father of blessed memory looked. He said, hmm. said David, okay, I'll have a word. <laughs> I'll have a word with you. <laughs> After, later on in the evening, the lady has gone to sleep. He called me. He said, come, son. He said, this is not your wife. I said, dad, you don't get it. This girl can sing. <laughs> I just imagine that when I'm preaching like this, she will stand by my side and say, just as I am, without one plea, come and be saved. And then me, I'll be saying, come now, you sinner. Come now, come now. That is what I saw Americans doing in the 80s. So... <laughs> So all my vision was just... And then this woman, this lady is an architect. And I'm a civil engineer. So together we were planning that we're going to have a mega consulting firm. So we'll both be directors. She will be bringing in all the architectural work. I'll be leading all the... (laughs) So, I mean, what could be more, you know... So, and here's my father saying, that's not your wife. (laughs) So... Dad said, I won't argue with you. You just go pray. So I went to do that. And about six months later, she just vanished. In fact, she didn't even write me. She did Tito Day. I don't know what I did for this woman. She just vanished. <laughs> Somebody say, oh. <laughs> so I wanted it very badly, but God knew I was not ready. It's not the right person. But the day I met my wife, like I said to you earlier on today, God said to me, you have found a friend for life. That's 30 years ago this year. You have found yourself a friend for life. You need to see how time works. That was almost two years, about a year after this encounter that I said to you. So understand the place of time. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says everything is beautiful in its time. Verse 38, very quickly because of our time, it says, Now the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Basically, live by faith and not by sight. It's more difficult to live by faith than to live by sight. It's so easy to live by sight, to live by everything you are seeing, the way you are feeling. You see, faith is a work of your spirit man. Sight is a work of your flesh. Your soul is trying to live by either one. Faith is a work of your spirit man. Sight is a work of your flesh. Your soul is trying to live by whichever one is strongest. This is why you need to feed your spirit man to continue to lead your soul by faith. Say, look at what the word of God says. Don't be moved by what they're saying. 
Don't be moved by what you're experiencing. Don't be moved by your limitations today. The flesh will say, ah, be afraid, worry, be anxious. Can't you see that this is the problem? This is that. The flesh will fidget and make you see the things that are real, that are physically real. But the spirit will say, yes, they may be there, but this is what the word says. Be assured, be rested. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. This is one of the things that gives spiritual stamina. When you learn to walk by faith, What does that mean again? It brings us back to the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you know the word of God, you can easily repeat and say, this is what is written. Sight said to Jesus, if you be the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Flesh said to him, this is opportunity to show this guy that you can produce food anytime you like. That's not written in the Bible. I'm telling you what the flesh will have been saying. This is the opportunity. Turn it, turn it. Listen and turn it. And eat the bread and show him that (laughs) you have power to do so. Spirit said, no, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God the Father. And that is what you and I need. You lose spiritual stamina when you feed this flesh at the expense of your spirit. This is why we encourage fasting. To encourage one another as a church, we, we, we fast together on a Sunday, on a Monday, sorry, so that it helps us to stay in focus. You can fast as many days or as many times as you want. And then we come together to pray, and we pray in the spirit solidly to help us sharpen our spiritual acumen again. These are not religious practices. They are things that we have done over the years and have helped us so many times. And every one of us must understand that we need to continue to live by faith. Finally, in verse 39, he said, But we are not of those that draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Always remember that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Keep pressing forward. The journey of the faith is forward movement. Till we see him. Thank God for the victories of yesterday. Thank God for the victories of today. The key thing is, what is your victory today? And what will be your victory tomorrow? Keep looking forward. Paul said, one of the series we did just before this series, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition. This race is a race where you are looking forward all the time. The Bible says that in Luke 9.62, it says anyone who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for this kingdom because you will be slow, you will not be able to walk, and you will be tired. We must learn how to keep the vision focused forward, forward, forward. Keep looking at what the word says. Who for the joy that was set where? Before him. Before him. What is set before you? First, can you see the mansions he promised you in heaven? Can you, have you ever envisaged them? By the grace of God, I've been to some fantastic buildings around the world. And many times when I see the splendor of architectural and engineering mastery, I say to myself, only God knows what heaven will look like. If man can still put this together here on earth, some things are beautiful. Marble everywhere, gold trim with the handles. You just want to live there forever. (laughs) 
I went to some, I, I had some very privileged visits to the United Arab Emirates in the early 2000s because of the work I was doing. So, and the people who were hosting us were very high-powered people. So, we went to places where most tourists don't go. And I see things like gold being used like, you know, <laughs> nothing. Rich marble, diamonds and things. They use them on ornaments and buildings. And it looks lovely. And every time I say to myself, Lord, if man can put these beautiful things together, I wonder what heaven would look like. So the picture of heaven must never elude a person. And then the pictures of what God has said about you, about your spouse, about your marriage, about your children, about your future, about your job. Do you know God has spoken about all those things? Do you know that there is everything about every aspect of your life already spoken for by God about his promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you? Hold on to them and keep putting them in front of you. Lot's wife looked back. She became a pillar of salt. She was supposed to be a spreader of salt as the salt of the earth, as the light of the world. She's supposed to be a spreader of salt. But when you are a person who looks back, you become a pillar. You become stagnated and useless. God forbid it. I say, God forbid it. Let us continue to press on. The devil will come and tell you many things that should make you lose hope in this race. He will give you testimonies. And give you challenges at times that will want to make you wonder whether God is still with you or not. Don't ever give up. We have become a generation that believes that if things are not going the way we want, then that means God is absent. Who told you that nonsense? At times, things go exactly contrary to what you want because God is in it. I don't know if what would have happened to my life if I had married the first lady and she's a lovely person. I, I say this jokingly many times, but in all honesty, she's a lovely person. But I don't know what would have happened. God knows the right person for me. Knows the right person for me. She helps me fix people who are trying to be problem for me. <laughs> My wife will, will always stand for me. If they say they are calling me in Westminster that I should come and be, she will just be, are you, she, she will follow me there. She doesn't, she doesn't even waste time. She won't be there and say, you, you, your type of person. No. And I thank God for that. She's not perfect. Nobody is perfect. I'm not perfect. Are you perfect? No, nobody is perfect. We are all work in progress. But I am grateful to God. I am grateful to God. And I am praying that every aspect of our lives like that will continue to have those kind of milestones that help us to see. Paul said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As you eat the communion today, I pray that God will help you to receive that strength. In the name of